welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 286. And the first uh, podcast in uh, 2024. So happy new year to everyone that's uh, hearing this in, in fairly real time. Um, if I get a little coffee or anything, excuse me, um, spend a little time with my kids over Christmas and they had colds and so I wound up with a little bit of that but well worth it um, so I, I'm gonna try real hard to get through this without coughing or clearing my throat or something today's episode is going to be I'm still along with the the troubleshooting kind of thing and I'm also gonna take the information that I've been percolating on and turn it into also kind of a new year here we go again um, let's let's get a fresh start for for the 2024 season I was looking out the window the other day yesterday 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 was the 2nd of January and I just I went look at all those runners there's run I've never seen this many runners <laughs> and I realized it was the second day of the year so I think all of our all of the people making their New Year's resolutions were out getting after it so that's good to see I hope they keep going but part of the New Year's resolution thing, too, I hope for a lot of the listeners of this is, okay, this year I'm going to be a little bit better than I was last year. I want to know a little bit more. I want to do a little bit better job. You know, kind of shoot for the moon on whatever it is you're doing with your dog. I've always said that. I'm never comfortable with somebody who's like, well, I'm not sure I can do any of this. I'll just kind of try a little bit. I, you know, I can't even relate to that, you know. There's no one that's failed more, not passed. Is you know, I've failed more tests and and weeded out of field trials and not gotten things done more than anybody because I've done this so long. Um, but I just kept going, and <laughs> you just keep going, and pretty soon your your successes uh, will overtake your lack of successes. So I really encourage everybody at least be open-minded. Let's go into the year whatever your hope and aspirations are. At least set your scope on that. Set your target for that and then move in that direction. And one of the ways that I want to help a little bit with that is to talk about things that I see people do which hinder their ability to go get uh, as much done as they would like. Now, when I talk about things that people do, now I'm getting on the diciest category. Uh, everybody loves to get... Uh, an exercise they can do. Again, the drills. You give people drills, they are ecstatic because here's these actions that I can take. And th there's a place for all that. Drills are great. But one of the most important aspects of training an animal or interacting with any living thing, frankly, is to have a high level of awareness of exactly about what you're doing. As opposed to just going out and going through the, the motions. Okay, I got my my 10 bumpers and I got my white sticks and I have all this stuff. You know, which again is very, very satisfying. Um, what is it that, what's your goal? What are you trying to get done in this particular exercise or on this particular training day? And I'm going to be real, just real frank. You know, I've been to... I don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of training sessions in my life. And always when I walk up to one, even back when I was just starting and thought I knew everything, 
and until now and I realize I'll never know <laughs> I'll never know that much I'm just trying to get a little bit better all the time and I mean that sincerely I'll walk up to whatever the thing is and people have something set up and I'll say okay what do we have you know and they'll go oh, we got a triple or we got whatever it is and I'll say okay what are what are we trying to do with this and that's when I get the look right it's like what do you mean we're running a triple like like I'm stupid and it's like, well, what are we trying? Are we teaching something with this? Are we trying to get a step ahead in our dog's education by this? Or is it just another triple? <laughs> so that approach right there is just something I think people ought to be aware of. You know, if you are, are trying to get into med school and you're studying hard, there's some particular things that you really need to think about. And when you do sit down to study all that difficult stuff, you need to study the right stuff for the right reason you know and again if you're re getting ready for a, a big 10k that's coming up or a big tennis match you don't just go out and run or play tennis necessarily you kind of have a, a formulated plan that's going to improve your skills hopefully optimize your skills so that when that day comes when you're taking the the test to get into med school and all that other stuff you're as ready as you can be in dog training at least for me, is is that way. It's not like, oh, this will be fun. We all get together, throw some birds. It'll be great. Um, it's it's something that you do kind of with a goal in mind. So that's what I'm talking about. And in teaching dogs, and this is going to be the point of today's thing, one of the things that I see lacking in a lot of our programs and a lot of our daily interactions with our dogs is not finishing off the teaching steps okay and by that I by I mean I'm going to use an analogy I always use human kids because we've all been one so there's at least some commonality there but it, when you teach a kid to drive and I use this analogy a lot when you teach them to drive right you're in the car with them and you explain to them how this works and that works um, I had taught both my kids how to do stick shifts because we had lived on property and had a lot of equipment and stuff. So that was, that's even, you know, it's not just gas and, and brake pedal. You have to teach them that. But you teach them, you know, what the, what everything is. Where the key is or how you turn it on and what the gears are and, you know, where the brake is and how all this stuff. And the turn signals and the windshield wipers and the lights and, and everything. Okay, that's just step one, right? And then you go out into a wherever you do we had dirt roads you know sometimes you can learn you learn in the walmart parking lot at when it's closed but you teach them actually to drive the vehicle right you so you teach them to drive the vehicle and you're sitting there in the seat next to them remember that if you've ever done that <laughs> your brake foot is just going and going over on the passenger side and you're teaching them about how to brake without giving everybody whiplash and how to accelerate without giving them whiplash and how to look. And then, you know, when they take driving lessons and they get out on the streets, that's why you pay someone else to do that. <laughs> and, they, you know, you've got to look all ways and know what's behind you. And it's a pretty complicated thing. And it takes some experience and practice at it. But while you're sitting there in the seat next to them, or their driver's driving teacher is sitting there next to them. Put on your left blinker, slow down, 
look to your right and you're telling them what to do all the time in the very beginning when they don't know you have to do that then you have to stop doing that it's the hard part you have to stop doing that so that they learn to do it themselves so you have to begin to take the responsibility from you or the teacher and have it over to this student driver and they begin to learn that and I remember doing it with both my kids you know I had to go the whole year one year of the learner's permit and so many hours in the some in the dark most in the light you had to do all that and I did I did all of that for an entire year you know and whew, for two people and then when it, it became apparent that even though they weren't experienced like they would be a few years down the road that they were capable of doing that and then you know one of the times something happened you know and I said well you're gonna have to drive into Denver and, and go do that and it's like what <laughs> aren't you gonna go with me no no you're fine you can do it and I kind of just that was a big step for both of them I remember doing it to both my kids at one point and they it, it did it was kind of a wide-eyed scary thing now it wasn't too much I'm not gonna send them into you know go through down down Denver out the other side all the way to somewhere else and you know but it was driving in the real world and both survived both vehicles survived they came back now you know they've been driving a long time and so we're good but that step where you begin to transfer the responsibility from yourself over to the dog or to the driver is necessary for them to reach the goal of being successful drivers who do not kill themselves or someone else or damage an expensive vehicle and can get where they need to get so with dogs this very same thing applies but this is where I very often see people uh, not take the next step they never get out of the passenger seat and let the dog go and what do I mean by that I'll use an example now this is a lot of this is my own personal preference it's not like this is how everyone must do it I never say that but because I'm gonna step on a few toes here but to all those people who when they're gonna go and we're talking retriever stuff right now this applies to all the other dog stuff too but it, we're talking about competitive retriever stuff when you go to the line right and sit down and then there's going to be birds going down and blinds run and various things like that it also goes in the upland field trust me I'm going to see if I can have time to touch on that one for those people who walk up to the line talking the entire time telling their dog to heal telling their dog to heal back there's I mean it's a large vocabulary I've heard all kinds of heal back here um, man that's three commands in one in one sentence in one little phrase and then you tell them to sit and then you tell them to sit and then you tell them to heal and then you move them over here and then you have cues for telling them to look out like I wonder do they not know that's what they're there to do but anyway and then they have cues to look out and cue, okay mark and they've got I mean it's a couple paragraphs of stuff so they're sitting over there in the passenger seat going okay buckle your seat belt now all right good now lock your door okay turn on the key all right now do put it into gear do the, they're doing that every time they get in the car to go somewhere with this student driver and so people do it when they go to the line they tell the dog everything it should be doing and often with much repetition 
In other words, they're not allowing the dog to come up and do the right thing because it knows that's what its job is. They're going to tell it. And so I, I, how do you, you know, does the dog ever going to know just to look out on their own? Do you think? Do you think they're walking up there and just thinking maybe they're just walking up there to sit, not do anything? The more you do this, they know we got some birds going down. I got to sit still. Mostly you want their attention and focus on right, watching where the bird goes down, where the birds go down. You want all their focus right there so that they can mark well and do it as efficiently as possible. The more you talk and yammer and tell them stuff, the more you are diluting that focus. I just ask people that do that, do you think you need to do that or does it just make you feel good? Which one of those things is it? Because the more you turn that over to the dog, once they understand, not a brand new guy, but even so, don't talk a lot with a brand new guy because it draws their attention onto you and not on what we really need, and that's running marks well. So people do not turn that responsibility over. And the same thing when they've gone out and they come back, you know what they know, ought to know how to do, in my opinion, is come in and sit down square with you. That's it. You teach that in basic obedience. You do that in all your drills. You do it anytime you're out running marks. And that becomes the dog's default behavior. But if you're always telling them what to do and correcting them and moving them and switching it around, then it just becomes this sort of foggy place they come back to with a lot of noise from you. And they wait until there's actually something else to do. Do you think that they don't know what to do when they're coming back? If they don't, then you haven't trained them. But when you do train them, then they know what to do. Sit back squarely whichever direction you're facing and be ready to be sent again or run a blind or whatever it is. So another thing I'll say on that, I see a lot. I got to judge a lot this year and got to see a lot of things. So when somebody's going to run a blind and they cue on a blind, I, I do the same thing, dead bird. In other words, okay, we're not running a mark, not go out there and hunt all over the place. <laughs> You're going to just go until you find a bird or I stop you and then change your direction, right? So you cue them. But what I see when people are real nervous, you know, they're real nervous running their dog. The dog is just coming in, hasn't even wheeled around to a sit position yet. And they're saying, hail, dead bird, dead bird, here, here, sit, dead bird, dead bird. And then I've heard six, seven, eight dead birds. Um, now I know mostly that's probably because somebody's just nervous because when you're cueing, you don't have to cue endlessly. Generally a cue is kind of a one-time thing. And so again, you're not, no one's turning the responsibility over to the dog to know and do the right thing. So you just tell them what to do. You're over there in the passenger seat going, I think your seatbelt came loose. Is your door locked? I forgot to check that. Your blinker's not on. You need to have your blink. You need to teach that driver to be able to do all that stuff on their own. And you need to teach the dog to know that it comes in, lines up the direction it needs to with you. And then when you say the your cue, whatever it is, if you have one, dead bird, the dog now knows it's running a blind. So then you can put your hand down and you can send them. And it's they get to have all of their focus on running that blind and not on all the stuff that you're saying and doing, which is just a kind of a big foggy area for them. So turning the responsibility back to the dog 
is very useful to the dog. Now, if, if you like being in control and that's a part of the issue, I can't help with that. But call it what it is. I like being in control. I like telling him exactly what he's going to do. And if I don't think he's listening, I'm going to say it again. But then that's just like telling your driver, get ready. You're going to have to turn left up here. You better get in the left lane. Right? Do you have to do that? Or did you teach them well enough that they know they got to get in the left lane and put on their turn signal? So it goes there a lot. Now I'm going to do another one. Step on some more toes here. When you're running a blind, you send your dog, presumably on back, whatever you do. You send them on back and then you blow the whistle. And then you yell and cast. Okay, do you need to yell? Do they have to hear you say whatever your words are? Do they have to do that? Or does the cast itself tell them what you need? But then you're in more control, right? You're yelling at them. You're telling them what to do. You're showing them what to do. You just got that. You're over in the passenger seat just really informing this student driver there what they need to do. Is that what you want? Is that your end goal? Your end goal should be a dog who is so clear on what it is that you guys are doing and what its job is that there's very little that you have to do uh, to get involved. You don't have to tell them to click their seatbelt, lock the door. Did you have it turned on? Did you do this? Better adjust your rearview mirror so you can see. What about the side mirror? Do you get over there? People do that with the dog all the time. And they're doing it because it makes them feel a certain way, not because the dog has to have it. But if you do that enough and continuously, then the dog compiles that pattern into something and it doesn't know what to do unless you're talking a lot and saying a lot of stuff. But I'll say you lose a lot of focus. And that's why a lot of times for the talkers, these dogs come in and they just ready to go. They're just like, I'm out of here. Let me get the next one. They're not even participating in this great learning and instruction that's going on on the line. So you might want to just check if that kind of stuff is real necessary. Is it necessary on blinds to holler and do all kinds of stuff? Or can you just put an arm up appropriately and uh, teach them that that's enough? There's Now you go. Because if you yell and they get out there 150 yards, they might not hear. Now, what if the, then if they can't hear, they might not go because you've taught them. I'm going to cast and yell. So they can't hear you, then who knows. So turning the responsibility back over to the dog is uh, a really valuable thing. And it allows you to focus more on what's really, really important. You know, picking out that long middle bird that's really hard. If you're just yammering, 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 and then when you finally are done, feel good like you said enough, and you kick them off, are you sure that they were focused right on that spot? Hard to do that when you're talking a bunch and moving them around and doing a bunch of fog-inducing things. And for those that do upland stuff, and this is another real pet peeve of mine, but that, who cares? You know, everybody ought to do whatever they want to do. But if when you're hunting in upland, when you're competing in, in the the upland stuff, or I don't care, you're hunting. If you've ever hunted wild birds, if you're out there whistling and instructing and telling them to hunt close and telling them to come around and telling them to, what all the stuff people say, every wild bird is gone because this giant noise thing is coming down the field, uh, the field and so it's time to go. So when you're hunting like real birds that have real chance, 
Noise is not your friend. Now, another thing. If you are constantly, I mean, if you, let's, let's just think about a dog in the upland field first. Let's just think about that. All right. After you've got a little guy and you've taught him what the deal is, there's birds out there, you use the wind, you use the terrain, you use various things, and you go find the bird, right? That means that they need to be focused on the data that they're taking in, the wind, the scent, you know, old scent, new scent, different stuff. Their mind needs to be engaged on finding that bird. If you are constantly interjecting in that, and, you know, they're starting to think a thought about some smell they're getting, and you tell them to come around, or you tell them to hunt close. So are you telling them, well, no, don't pursue that? Don't go look over there? Don't continue that? What are you telling them? I mean, what's the impact on that? Does it matter? <laughs> it should. If, if when these dogs get really good at it, you don't ever have to talk at all. There's other places than the upland field where you train them, train them to stay in range. That is just a simple thing to do. You train them. Well, when we go through a field together, you don't ever get really farther than this from me as a younger dog. So you teach them that. Later on, when they're good, you can expand to whatever range you want. But teach them to stay in range with you. Then go out in the field and let them, let them hunt. Now, the quartering thing. Quartering is a geometry. It means you're going to go into the wind and go back and forth in front of me. Now, if you go into the wind with a dog that is trained well, they will go back and forth in front of you because that's how they take on the greatest amount of data or information gathering. If you go crosswind, they aren't going to quarter in front of you because that does no good in optimizing the maximum amount of information they're trying to gather. So they're going to move in a little bit different configuration to gather as much new wind as possible. If you let them learn that, and you've already taught them to stay in range, you don't have to tell them, hunt close, come around, get back, all the stuff people say. And then when you're not interrupting their concentration on pursuit, then they get to be really good in their concentration of pursuit. I don't know how many times I have seen, and many of the other judges that I've talked to have seen, somebody you know, in a com competition out in the upland field running their dog and you can see that dog is just caught the very beginnings of scent and it of a bird and you just the very beginning it's not sure you know it's not close enough it's not intense enough that they know for sure and so but you can just see they just beak a little bit you know and they go over and here this person tweets them or come arounds or does whatever it is pulls them right off of it you know what what do you think the message to the to the dog is the person, of course, is clueless because they are instructing the dog where to go and what to do. Um, sitting over there in the passenger seat, just nagging heck about lights and blinkers. And instead, when you pull them off the bird, uh, you know, you just said, no, don't go over there. What are they supposed to do with that? What, what are they supposed to do with that? You know, if they are used to tuning you out, they're going to go over there anyway and ignore you, a, a thing you don't really want. But if they do comply with you, you just said, no, not that bird. And I have literally seen that happen three or four times. And, and by, the, by the end, that dog is going to go in and grab something because it's so tired of being called off birds and doesn't even understand what this deal is. It's like, I'm just going to go get this one because you keep pulling me off of them. 
or you lose all intensity on the search or the point. You lose it all because you keep getting in the middle of it because you're so busy telling them what to do that you're not noticing what they're telling you. So in the upland field, that happens. And I, again, I'm going to take it one more step on that in the upland field. And this is going to be uh, for the pointing guys. Also, so your dog goes in and goes on point. Now, everybody does one of two things. They either freeze and don't move because if they do, the dog's going to move on their point. Okay, that's a training issue. You don't do it there. Do it elsewhere. Teach them when they go on point that they that's where they stay. And then... They are constantly, I have heard woe screamed from 80 yards away. And whoa, well, it, well, let me, I'm going to, what, everybody, whoa. I'm not sure what that does, but, but it, whoa, you get about a dozen of them as they're walking over there. Does that mean if you weren't telling them to stay there, they wouldn't stay there? Why are you saying that? Is it absolutely necessary? Because if you don't, they're going to move or bust the bird or whatever. That's an untrained dog. So if your dog is doing that, perhaps you go back, not in the upland field, and do the teaching that when you go on point, assuming the bird doesn't move, you don't either. You know, that's a training thing. And then you teach them that, and then you go out in the upland field and put the responsibility back onto the dogs so that they go on point and you don't have to tell them a bunch of stuff because they know already. And so you don't have the whoa. <laughs> it's got like three, four syllables to it. And, and it, just constantly telling the dog, don't move, don't move, don't move, don't move. Again, you're sitting there in the driver's seat going, you just put on the brake, get on the brake, you're going too fast, get on the brake. You know, that, those drivers want you out the car. Get out of the car. I'm fine without you. And the dogs do the same thing, guys. If you're constantly telling them what to do, they're just waiting for a chance to not do that because you're nagging the holy heck out of them by constantly telling them what to do. Believe it or not, if you are a good trainer, if you are a good teacher, you teach your dog well. And then let them do it without your continuous instruction. You are not that important. That is ego. And if you want to have actually a big ego and a really good dog, teach them to do their thing without constant instruction. You don't have to tell them to go look. Okay, mark. Okay, sit. Wait. All this stuff. You know, just like honoring. Teach them the same thing. You got to honor. Teach them, hey, after you've run stuff and I told you to sit over here or whatever you do, you're done. I'm not going to keep telling you. I'm not going to be over here with the sit, 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 whatever it is. Teach them and go, all right, you need to stay there. Because if you bust in training, we're in training, if you do the wrong thing, then one, there will be a consequence, and two, we will go back and work on this concept again until it's very clear in your mind. Not in the place of ease. If your driver is not doing really well, let's don't take them out on the interstate or a bunch of intersections that are filled with traffic. Let's go back to the basics and practice those skills a little bit before we go back out there. So if your dog wants to break on an honor, wants to move on a point, wants to do all that stuff, don't go crush them in the intersection, man. Go back and go, I have not taught well enough because that's exactly what it is. I need to go back and teach that some more so that they're very clear. And then we'll go out there and I'll let them drive through the intersections and I won't say a word. Matter of fact, they won't even get in the car. They can just do it themselves. So 
that goes for, you know, I've talked about marks and blinds and upland stuff. It goes in basic obedience. I was on a run. I got my first run of the year in on the first day, and I was out coming in, and there was a lady with a, uh, it was a real nice dog, and she was working on training. I was like, awesome. I was looking at watching her, and she had the, the multiple. It was just basic. It wasn't a field dog. It was just basic obedience, and it took four sits, um, and each time she jerked on the leash, mostly city people don't even jerk on the leash. She jerked on the leash to make it sit four times, and then when it sat, she put her hand up. Okay, so we had lots of stuff going on and then I mean then we were talking the whole time she's talking and talking and talking and I just remember thinking gosh if you would just say it one time and then make them do it the first time the, the way they are you don't you know you could use a hand or not use a hand or the verbal or not the verbal you could do either one but but she's gonna have to work on this for a long time because she keeps doing the work for them and talking to them and telling them what it is, figuring they're going to figure it out. What what a lot of us don't realize, just like that lady, sit, jerk, sit, jerk, sit, jerk, four times, finally sat, put her hand up, which meant sit, I guess, and then praised the dog and then told it to sit again because it started to get up because apparently sit is fairly conditional to something, I don't know what. So she had some very confusing mixed signals to this dog, and she wasn't teaching something and just letting it just have the dog do it and then just let that sit there for a second just let things percolate when you do it over and over and over again then that means that becomes part of the habit part of the conditioning to the dog I sit when I hear multiple sits if I hear one I don't do anything and she's teaching the dog that so when we do the work for them in whatever situation I've described here, when we do the work for them, when we tell them, whoa, a dozen times as we get over there, we're building that into part of the requirement. You know, they're only going to stay there if we keep telling them to stay there. Why don't we teach them to stay there and then require that they do it? And then if they do bust it, there's a consequence. But we're going to go back and train a little bit more so that I can, the next time you go out, you still don't have to say anything. That allows you to increase the skill level of the dog on any of the stuff that we're talking about. Because they're not so busy weeding through the noise and the fog, but they're actually being handed the reins to this thing. And when they do it right, it's good. It's all good. And when they do it wrong, then they have to take a step back and review things and then go at it again. That's the way you get a dog to be really, really good when you really, really need them to be on their own without your constant instruction. You want them to be good. They're not just good listeners. They need to be good performers. And you got to let go of the reins, give them the keys to the car, and go, all right, you drive. Because I know you know what to do. So I hope that makes sense. It may or may not. <laughs> but just try, just see where you're... When you go out with your dog, just look at how many times you are doing the work for them. You are just making what... Now, when you're teaching, you have to make what needs to happen, happen. Okay, when you're teaching them, when you're teaching, heel means be at my side, with me. Rib to rib, or hip to hip, or however you guys do it. And when I say sit, you sit, right? You have to do some of the work for them to show them exactly what you want. And when I say heel, and you come in around, you come around on the side, and sit down, and no messing around, or, or victory laps. 
you have them you have to do the work for them to show them what you want then you begin to make them responsible for doing the right thing and that's where you have to have a consequence this is not electricity or healing stick necessarily it's whatever level of enforcement and consequence so they go i don't want that to happen again i'm going to do it this time it is that simple the the concepts are simple the dogs are simple the complicated fuzzy thing is how people think about this and how much importance they put on themselves and things that they have to do and say to make everything okay so that's a lot to think about i hope that is useful at least to some people that's my first thing of the year work on that really hard where your dog knows its job without you constantly having to tell it what to do and then man the sky is the limit your talent and the dog's talents only and exposure to what you need them to know is all you got to do but begin to learn to teach this driver to drive on their own and uh the dog <laughs> the dog will love you if it's a good dog they're gonna love it i got this you don't have to constantly be making noise you don't have to whoa me across a, a giant field i know what to do so that's today's i hope everybody had a reasonably wonderful uh, new year's and i hope 2024 is the best year for you and your animals that you've ever had and i will be back next week